Good morning and welcome to the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Alvazan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, Tree Tools, we're trying to answer any automotive questions you might have. Why don't you go give us a call? It's 499-9526. And this morning, if you put a 225 in front of that, you can reach us from anywhere inside the continental United States, live and in person this that morning. That is a fact. Our very first show of 2014. How about that? I'm telling you, I got a little scratchy voice this morning, so if, I, <laughs> if, if my volume kind of fluctuates up and down, that's what yeah. it's all about. But. Too much vacation time? <laughs> <laughs> too much, too varied, man. <laughs> I hear you. I hear you. When you go from Cancun to New York, yeah, that's talking about a culture shock. <laughs> I, I bet that was an interesting pack of clothes in that suitcase. That was two very, very large suitcases. I bet. Believe me. <laughs> <laughs> but it was great. It was great. Glad to be back. Hey, we go to our phone lines. We got Herb on line. Good morning, Herb. Good morning, Lewis Brian. This is the old boy with the continuing problem with the airbags and the transmission a couple of weeks ago that was jerking okay. and snatching. Mm-hmm. Well, I unloaded that thing. Okay. <laughs> and I bought a 2012 brand spanking new Honda Ridgeline. Okay. It had 400 miles on it. Okay, good. And I got a very good deal, I think. But I got thinking, you know, that thing has been sitting there since the manufacturer won 12. Mm-hmm. And the tires are August 11. Mm-hmm. And so it's got 400, had 429 miles on that oil and two years old. Yeah. So I think probably should change that stuff out. Yeah, I right would off. definitely change that out, Herb, because it's going to be very moisture-laden. You're having sat for so long. I would definitely look at changing the oil in it. The rest of the vehicle is still going to be pretty good for a while. You know, if, as long as you got a good deal on it, you just got to realize you got well, they a couple give me $20,000 off of it. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, well, the price of the other one. <laughs> yeah, you got 20 large going in. I mean, <laughs> it ain't going to need that much maintenance. <laughs> but what a the timing belt, all that stuff, rubber parts should start with the man, with the date the car. Date of manufacture, right. correct. So a book says, no, didn't tell me about when to change the spark plugs. I think and, it's uh, hundred and five thousand on that one, if I'm not mistaken, uh, Herb. And the plugs don't care about time at all. Right. They are strictly mileage related. There's, if they could sit there for 20 years, it's not going to make a bit of difference. They're going to fire so many times and so many miles. Right. So plugs don't care. Stuff like your coolant, I would be looking at probably doing that next year when it gets about three years old. Okay. I would Liquids. probably go ahead. Yeah, do all the liquids. You know, right. You, you might even want to look at your transmission service at three years just because it's, it's relatively inexpensive on that vehicle. It's a grain fill. If nothing else, I would go ahead and check the differential just for level because it right. may be low. Mm-hmm. They uh, Manufacturers have a tendency to send them out a little low. So okay. that'd be a good thing to check. Does it take some kind of special? Yeah, that's going to take Honda VTM4. That's Victor Tango Mary 4. It's a special fluid that Honda uses in their differentials. Fluid. Almost everything right. on Honda is going to be a Honda-specific fluid. Okay. I like buying all my fluids from Honda because they use a very, very high-quality fluid. It's good, good stuff. So I, I just buy it from them. They're not that expensive on it. But I buy my transmission fluid, my power steering fluid, and everything from Honda. Okay, and it says timing belt, 60000 if towing a trailer or when the light comes on. So I don't like that light deal no how. Mm-hmm. So what do you recommend on the timing belt? Seven years would be the outside. As far as miles, if it's an interference motor, sometimes they will say a lower mile, like some sixty to 90000 Is it 3.5? 3.5, yeah. That's... I would probably do it at no more than seven years from a date of manufacture, which you'll probably hit that before you hit the miles. As far as miles, normally around 60 to 90 somewhere, depending on your driving conditions. Okay. Make sure I got all my questions answered. <laughs> I have me a log sheet made out here. Well, there you go. Okay, I guess. And the tires, they about five years on the tires. Six, Six uh, years. On the outside. Yeah, would be the outside limit on them, and that would be, again, from the date of manufacture. Okay. All righty. I thank you very much. Okay, Herb. Thanks, right, man. Bye. Bye-bye. 499-9526 number. If you want to be part of the Automotive Eye, we'd certainly love to have you. Why don't you go ahead and give us a call? 
just in case you don't get a chance to call in, you can always go to the website. That's right. The address is www.agcoauto.com. That is A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O.com. There's a contact bar on each and every page. You can send Lewis an email anytime of the day or night and get it back within 24 hours. Now that he's back from vacation, <laughs> you may get it even sooner. That's right. Now I'm all rested up and sitting in front of my computer most of the time. I have a bunch of catching up to do. I had written some detailed topics which went online as I was gone. You know, uh-huh. Of course, I wasn't here to write them, but we write those in advance, and then they just come on at the proper time. But I've just about exhausted that supply. So <laughs> time to I sit down and write some more. Sit down this weekend, yeah, and get a, I got a couple of them that I'm writing right now that uh-huh. uh, will be coming on. But put one on this morning on the oil consumption issue on the later model GMs with the active fuel management. And I know we've had a number of calls on that in the last several weeks. Right. So, that's the reason I sat down and wrote the article, put some illustrations, let people know exactly what's going on. But if you have a GM V8 engine, and I think it's primarily the 5.3 and the 6.2, 6.2 are yeah. the two that are related to the active fuel management. I don't think they use active fuel management with the 4.8. But if you have one of those vehicles and you do have active fuel management with it and you are burning a bunch of oil. Now, a bunch of oil means more than a quart every two to 3,000 miles. Right. That's their new recommendation. Yeah. GM is actually making good on that in a number of cases. If your vehicle was manufactured before February the 1st, 2011, there's vice valve cover that can go on it that's uh-huh. supposed to help a good deal. Then there's also a shield that goes around the active fuel management valve if it was built before October 1st, 2010, because after that, they started adding that to factory, so it's not going to help to go back and add another one. It's already in there if your vehicle was built after October 1st, 2010. Correct. So if you have one of those vehicles you're using all, you can get a good deal of help all the way up to replacing the pistons and rings in it. Right, and that's only under their five-year, 100,000-mile. Five-year, 100,000-mile. So you're probably going to get out of the five years before 100,000 miles. But if you got one, let's say you got a 2010 and you're burning some oil, you need to get on down there. Sure. Because that's a— They're going to take care of—should be able to take care of it for you. Well, yeah. No cost. You you can cite this bulletin, and they should be able to get a no-cost or no-charge repair on it. Right. And if you wait till after five years, then it's on you. And that can be easily a two, $3,000 repair. Oh, sure. Depending so, on how much, how far they, you're going to go into that engine. That's right. So if I want to avail yourself of that article, a lot of good information. I think you'll really like it. It's agcoauto.com. That's right. A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O.com. And we've got a special guest. I've got Miss Courtney from Empire Covers on the line. Good morning, Courtney. Good morning. How are you? Just great. And, of course, we've been emailing back and forth a bit here just to kind of bring all our listeners up to date. And your company manufactures car covers. Yes, we sell and manufacture car covers. Our parent company, Budge Industries, is actually the manufacturer. Wow, okay. And why would someone entertain using a car cover? What's the the advantages? Well, that's a good question. A lot of times people kind of ask, well, is there a difference between a blanket or a tarp? Just throw it on your car, right. maybe put some bungee cords, and it's good to go. But car covers are made specifically for cars mm-hmm. to protect your, your paint and the body frame and everything like that. So... That's one thing, protecting your vehicle from the elements. The sun may be you know, nice and feel warm, but it can do some pretty bad damage to your car's paint, or mm-hmm. dust is a silent little hazard to your vehicle. Right, and a lot of folks who have custom cars and nice cars, that maybe they have a garage for it, but they can still benefit from a car cover. Exactly. Like I said, dust and debris, you know, there are other elements that are in garages that you might not think about, but Mm -hmm. if you leave your car unattended for a certain period of time, it will build up on your vehicle. And if there's just the tiniest little scratch or something, it's just going to make that 10 times worse. 
Mm-hmm. Now, folks who don't have a garage and have to leave their car out in the weather, they may want to protect it, like you said, from the UV rays of the sun or possibly from rain or, of course, up in the northern parts of the country from snow and all the other hazards. But there's a lot of different kinds of car covers for different applications. Yes, there are. There's indoor covers, there's outdoor covers, there's indoor and outdoor covers. There's a lot of different material that covers are made out of. So you really just, when you're shopping for a car cover, you really want to ask yourself, what are the elements that my vehicle is going to be exposed to and what do I want to protect against? Mm -hmm. You touched on this just a little bit, but you have what they call a waterproof cover and then they have what they call a water-resistant cover, which is not really the same. Exactly, yeah. So there are a lot of water-resistant covers on the market that say they're waterproof, but they're actually not. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of testing and scientific measurements that go into deciding what is water-repellent and what is waterproof. Mm -hmm. But one thing that makes a car cover completely waterproof is that it blocks rain from seeping through the cover, but it's also 100% breathable. That way it can allow the condensation that may for with the weather temperature changing. It'll allow that condensation to evaporate off of the vehicle, but also prevent any mold or mildew growth. Yeah, that's a big thing down in this part of the country, South Louisiana, because we do get a lot of rain and we have temperature extremes. It'll go from, like today, I think it started out at around 40 degrees. Tomorrow it's going to be up to 60 or something. Uh, Then it's going back down in the 20s the following day. So you get a lot of temperature change and you can actually get mold and mildew on your car. Yeah, it's not a very fun experience. I don't know if you've ever had to try to clean mold and mildew off, but it's hard to get rid of. Mm-hmm. It's very difficult to get rid of. So in, in Pennsylvania right now, we just got hit with a really bad winter storm. So mm-hmm. here we have to protect against all of the elements, not just rain, a lot of downpours. We have to protect against the snow, too, because unfortunately, I think it's about 15 degrees here right now. So wow. I would, I would take 40 degrees. <laughs> yeah, oh, absolutely. I was in New York Thursday, so I'm right there with you. I think it was going to be 7 degrees today. Yeah, I'm glad you made it home safe. Yeah, our, our flight was last one out of LaGuardia. I think they closed the airport as we were, as we were taxiing out. So, yeah, I was, I was very happy. Now, a lot of materials that they can make a car cover out of, I've seen the word Tyvek on, yes. on some car covers. Yes, so our premium car cover that we offer that's completely manufactured in the warehouse in Henderson, Kentucky, Mm -hmm. is made from DuPont Tyvek. So I know that you said you're familiar with that, and if any listeners aren't, it's actually the material, if you've ever done any remodeling on a home, that is used to insulate houses. Mm -hmm. So it's really durable. It's all-weather, premium cover. It's thick, but it's lightweight. So you don't have to worry about it being too bulky or heavy. One thing that's great about that cover is it has a microfiber inner lining. So like I was saying about the tarps can scratch your vehicle. That's right. It's actually pamper your vehicle. Hmm. So it's it's great. And car cover not only protects you from the elements and such as that, but it can actually help with theft, people breaking into your car to some degree. Exactly. A lot of people might say, well, I don't really need a car cover. I park my car on the street. But... You really do, because when thieves are looking into vehicle or looking to steal a vehicle or maybe something out of vehicle, they want to get something that's easy to, to get into. And if you have a car cover, not only does that block them from being able to see what's inside, mm-hmm. but it's also an extra step that they have to go through taking off the car cover. And if they just throw the car cover in the street, that looks suspicious. Yeah, exactly. So. <laughs> a f- person who owns the car is going to remove the cover, fold it up nicely, and probably put it in the trunk, whereas they don't have access to the trunk at this point. So if they take it off, what do they do with this cover? And exactly. like I said, if they throw it in the street, that's definitely a tip-off. Maybe a police officer or something happened to be driving by and see that. He's going to be 
pretty well aware something's going on. Exactly. <laughs> now, you have uh, custom-made car covers. I know years ago I used to own a little Cadillac Alante, and I had a custom cover made for the car. And at the time, I thought that was really cool, but that's maybe not the way for everybody to go. Yes, so a lot of people do like custom covers because they do fit your vehicle perfectly, and the mirror pockets are something that people always ask for, but Mm -hmm. all of our covers are semi-custom, so it's not a one-size-fits-all. We have five sizes, and they fit certain vehicle Mm -hmm. frames and sizes. So one thing about mirror pockets is they look great, but they're actually add a lot of stress on those seams when you're taking the cover on. Right. That was a problem that I had. Every time I went to go, I had to pull that out separately to lift the cover off the car. Yeah, and, you know, the cover eventually, it does, those those threads do loosen up a little bit, and the cover will begin to hang on those pockets, and that's one reason why the the cover deteriorates, and if one part of the cover is compromised, the whole cover is compromised protection. And the cost of a semi-custom cover is considerably less than buying an actual custom cover. Exactly. It's a fraction of the cost, and that's one reason why we're able to produce our covers, great quality covers for a low price, is because they are Mm semi-custom. And they have extended warranties, which is another great thing. Our premium DuPont Tyvek American Armor cover has a 10-year warranty, which is great. That is. (laughs) One last point I want to make, Courtney, and that is a lot of people think that they can just buy a car cover and throw it on the car. Maybe the car is dirty. It needs washing. That's really not too good of an idea. It's not a good idea at all. The car covers do have the microfiber or a non-abrasive inner lining, Mm -hmm. but putting a cover on a dirty car is not a good idea at all. Dust and debris and and dirt can be grainy and and scratch your paint, so you definitely want to be able to wash it off and then put the cover on, and then it'll keep your car looking great. And, of course, get the car completely dry before you cover it. Exactly. They are. are, It does allow 100% breathable, but... You can just wipe that car off and make it dry before you put that cover on. It'll help mm-hmm. so much more. Well, great. If folks wanted to buy a cover from your company, how can they get in touch with you? Well, they can actually go to www.empirecovers.com. Just like the Empire State Building. Yes, like that, but better because it's car covers. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. <laughs> <laughs> and we also do have, for the listeners that are listening today, we'd like to offer them a 35% off discount if that's okay with you. Wow. Yeah. That's great. Yeah, just mention, yeah. mention you heard it on Automotive Hour, and there you go. Save <laughs> so some if big you go, if, Yeah, if you go to EmpireCovers.com, find the car cover that you'd like, and just for the promo code, it's Auto Hour, one word, Auto Hour. Well, there okay. you go. Sounds great. Well, Courtney, I really appreciate you calling in. Thank you. I appreciate you guys having me, and enjoy that 40 and 60-degree weather. <laughs> <laughs> I'm telling you. <laughs> Bye-bye. <laughs> Bye. Whoop, there we go. I'll hit the right button here in just a minute. All right, I'll, I'll give you slack today. <laughs> yeah, You've been on vacation. Slack, been two weeks, man. Yeah. Hey, we'll take one quick little break. We'll be right back with more on the Automotive Hour. Hey, Agco Automotive is here to tell you some things are too good to be true, like free beer tomorrow or lose weight on the ice cream and cheeseburger diet. Another thing too good to be true, the low-price oil change. Automotive businesses will sucker you in with an under $30 oil change and then give you a huge list of recommended maintenance and repairs like flushes, brake work, rack and pinion leaks, oil leaks, and more. 
Well, AGCO says be smart. When you get the list, bring your vehicle to AGCO and we'll provide you an honest evaluation of any problems you may be having. Want to know more details about upsells and wallet flushes, plus tons of other automotive info? Visit agcoauto.com. That's A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O.com. Agco, it's the place to go. Oh, and those beautiful models just waiting to talk to you late at night? Yeah, too good to be true. Hey, welcome back. If you just joined us, the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Lewis Aldersand, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, between tools, try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Why don't you go and give us a call? It's 499-9526. And we're taking calls on just any topic you might have. That's right. Live and in person today. That's it. We'll get you an answer just right straight away. Car covers are one of those things I don't think we ever really talked about on the show. Like I said, I had a little car that I always kept covered kept the car for about 10 years and stayed mostly under a carport but it was still open to the uh-huh. elements and that car still looked like brand new it was a little convertible and the top was not all shrunk up and faded, Wasn't faded and, or yeah, anything the paint no looked it, really really good so little car was clean yeah they do a really nice job for you if of course the ultimate thing i guess is having a garage and then the ultimate thing would be a indoor car cover inside of a garage i imagine well, a climate control garage would be ideal yeah some of the folks who have the vintage real, cars and real special cars right. yeah with real real nice paint jobs and all they may want to cover it and garage keep it right i know a gentleman that's got a four car garage and it is actually part of his climate control of his house wow it stays the same temperature as his house without with his four cars in it yeah now, that, now that's a guy who's serious about his car hey the man <laughs> i'm serious i can guarantee you that's right if you don't have that and you need something to protect your car you might want to consider a car cover it's awful nice of them to actually give a 35 percent discount i'm telling you that, that's a vast oh, wow. so that's a lot of money yeah it is yeah <laughs> i don't think i have a car nice enough to cover right now but uh, <laughs> i got i got a couple old beaters but you know what the heck i mean for that price i may get me one anyway i know right <laughs> go back to the phone lines with herb good morning herb yes sir i failed to ask you a while ago the mileage when i should change those plugs and the, is it an interference engine or not yeah it's going to be around one hundred and five thousand on a honda engine as far as the spark plugs go 3.5 liter is an interference motor all honda motors other than the 3.0 and the 3.2 i believe are interference now if you want to find that out you can also go to my website and go to the search bar and type in interference and there's a list that gives whether they are or not on every engine mm-hmm. one thing that i always like to tell people though herb a lot of people get confused about what is and what isn't an interference motor. Basically, under the wrong conditions, every motor is interference. There is no motor that is perfectly safe when a timing belt or timing chain breaks. You can hit valves and pistons. Valves can hit each other. All sorts of things can happen, even on a, what they call a non-interference motor. So it's wise to treat every motor as though it were an interference motor. But if it is definitely an interference motor, you got to be just that much more careful. Yes, sir. Okay. Alrighty. I just didn't quite get down my list. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, man. All Thank right, you. Bye. Bye-bye. 499-9526 number. If you want to be part of the Automotive Hour, we'd love to have you. And we got Bobby online. Good morning, Bobby. Hey, guys. How you doing? Happy New Year to both of you. Good yeah, morning, man. Good to have you back. Look, yes, I sir. called uh, two or three times when it was a tape show, and I got just as good an answer, Lewis. <laughs> <laughs> that was great. You know, you've advised us, Lewis, don't be anxious to trade your cars in after three or four years. Mm-hmm. Take care of them. Do, do it the Edco way. And... But what I want to ask you this morning is, is there an upper limit to that? I mean, a 20-year-old car, 25? Yeah, Yeah, you're going to get to a point, Bobby, where it's just going to not be practical to continue to regenerate a car unless it's just a car that you love and something you're restoring. That's an exception to the rule. But as a general daily driver, you're going to reach a point where the years are just going to get to you. The rubber's going to start deteriorating. Things are going to start breaking. 
what I always do on my cars, Bobby, is that I keep track of the money I'm spending on them, yep. and I break it down on a monthly basis. And when it starts to exceed about $200 a month, that's when I start looking for something else. Okay. Let's say I got a $2,000 repair, and I know $2,000 is definitely more than 200 but what I say is, if I make this repair, could I reasonably expect right. to go 10 months without having yep. any other major repair? And mm-hmm. the answer is yes, that's a pretty good deal. And the answer is no, now it's time to start looking. But, yeah, you will come to a point, and what I would also recommend, other than trying to keep the car you have as long as possible, is when you go to buy another car, you want to try to find something around three to four years old, Mm -hmm. simply because a car loses a tremendous amount of money in the first three years. It's going to lose close to 60% of its value in three years. So if you walk in at three years, it's probably not going to be hurt any. Even if they did no maintenance at all other than oil changes, it's really not going to be too far behind on anything. So you start buying cars that are 10 years old. Now it's totally dependent on the way it was taken care of before you got it. But at three years, that's not such a factor. But the money is going to be real, real good because you're going to buy the car 60% under the resale price. Now, what you got to do is you got to say, okay, that's not just found money. You got to take a portion of that money and set it aside because inevitably there are going to be repairs. And that's what part of that savings is all about. And you're basically self-insuring your car. Buy a new car, there's three or 4000 tacked on the price of it that covers the warranty. Right, they, they do their own insurance for you, right? That's right, they're just right. doing it for you and telling you where you got to go get it fixed. Right. Whereas when you're saving that kind of cheese up front, I mean, let's say you're saving $20,000 on a car, we'll just stick 3000 in a little emergency account. When the car breaks, you got it. It's not an emergency anymore. Yep. Well, that's great advice, Lewis. I, uh, like I said, I'm running the thing for mine. I had a door handle problem. Well, nobody will make the door handle anymore. Mm-hmm. You, know, you can tape it over with duct tape. Well, that's going to look good when I pull up in the anchor with duct tape. <laughs> on it, okay? We are uh, starting to see that problem as well, yeah. where manufacturers are just really doing everything they can to force you to buy right. another car, and they're discontinuing a lot of parts. Many times there are replacement parts you can get from other companies. Sometimes you can take a later model part and make it fit. So there's, there's still things you can do, but, yeah, that's getting to be a problem as well. All right, and one final time, Lewis, tell me, don't keep the terminal battery, those uh, temporary battery things. Mm-hmm. You say, I've been using one of those things now for six months, but, wow. but you're saying it, it's going to... It's going to cause you trouble, right. yeah. 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 Let me change it. Okay, Lewis, thanks a lot. Great advice, and I hope everybody listens to it. All right, Bob. Thank thanks, you. Man. Bye-bye. All right, one more quick little break. We'll be right back aboard in the Automotive Hour. Good morning. And welcome back to Automotive Maintenance School, fellas. Good morning. Yesterday, we left off talking about how to upsell your customers with the sneaky $24.99 oil change. Yeah, they come in for the special and bam, we hit them with other problems we just happened to find while doing the oil change. (laughs) Yeah, and then you tell them, it's a good thing you came in for our oil change special. Yeah, you may never have known you needed all this work. Yeah, sound like you fellas did your homework. I just hope none of your customers did. (laughs) Agco Automotive has this to say about low-price oil changes. Take advantage of them. And if you get a list of recommended repairs, bring your vehicle to us for an honest opinion of what, if anything, needs to be fixed. Want to know more details about upsells and wallet flushes, plus tons of other automotive info? Visit agcoauto.com. That's A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O dot com. Agco. It's the place to go. Hey, welcome back. If you join us, the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Aldazan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, between two of us, try to answer any questions you might have. Why don't you go give us a call? 499 9526. 
Got all our lines wide open. That's right. And you put a 225 in front of that number. You can reach us from anywhere in the continental United States this morning. That's right. And we'd really love hearing from you. All the weather is in the news. And, of course, here our weather tends to be a little more moderate. I think it went down into the high 20s last night. Right. Tomorrow it's going to be up in the 60s. And then I think Tuesday's going back down in the low 20s. Right. With all this cold weather coming, that has a drastic effect on an automobile. Sure it does. Now, a well-maintained automobile is going to survive that pretty well. It's not going to really know too, too much difference. Uh-huh. But if you've allowed the maintenance on your vehicle to kind of slip, that's when you're really going to start to have some problems when it starts sure, to see temperature extremes. Right. Let's say you let your coolant go, mm-hmm. and now the freeze protection is no longer there. That's right. What's going to happen now? Well, yeah. Well, you're going to go down to 22 degrees. Things are going to start to freeze. That's a hard freeze. That's right. Yeah, the water's going to expand, and when it does, it can crack the engine block. And, of course, that doesn't mention all the corrosion and the other problems you have from depleted coolant. Correct. Another is if your oil has not been changed recently, as oil gets older, it tends, the viscosity tends to increase because of the contaminants that gets into it. And it's already thick because of the low, low temperature. Sure. So that extremely thick, nasty, sludgy oil is just not going to protect the engine. So if you haven't had an oil change in a while, before this cold weather starts to get, that's something else you might want to look at. Sure. Now, one last thing is that when it gets cold, your engine is going to idle much faster. You'll notice when you start the engine, the computer will automatically idle it up. That's to help it to warm up faster and get the lubrication up to the top of the engine. But what you don't want to do is to slam it into gear while it's racing up. In other words, you look at your little tachometer, and if those RPM are up around 1,500, 1,200 RPM, you don't want to slam it in gear. Give it a second. Let it go ahead and slope down to its normal range at least under 1,000 RPM because when you're idling up that fast, the fluid is thick, so the pressure is real high. You slam it in gear. Let's say you've got a transmission that it's a little weak, but it was still good. Sure. Well, now it ain't good. <laughs> right. And you start slamming it into gear, you're going to start breaking Well, the... you can break something, and you can also create all kinds of other problems. So you just got to be a lot more careful when it's cold. And all the folks who do a really good job of maintaining their vehicle year-round, really, they don't have to worry so much. Right. But and the ones that don't, that's the, the people that have to really That's right. That's the ones who are going to be, be flood, flooding into the shop Tuesday morning with sure. all kinds of issues going on. But just kind of a little word to the wise. We're going to the phone lines with Nolan. Good morning, Nolan. Yes, I got a question about a 1980 Ford pickup I inherited. Okay. It's sitting in storage for 10 years. Wow, okay. And just wonder what kind of precautions I should do before we try to start it. Nolan, a car that's been sitting that long, you certainly, at a very least, need to try to change all of the fluids in the vehicle. I, I would change every fluid in it, including the gasoline. You need okay. to try to figure out a way to drain that fuel tank because that's going to be probably your biggest problem. What happens when gasoline sit a long period of time? You start to get some phase separation. You start getting moisture buildup. And a lot of times you even rust the inside of the tank. As long as you don't have any rust in the tank, you can drain the old fuel out, dispose of it, put some fresh fuel in, and you can be way, way dollars ahead. Because if it's all full of varnish and you start running that into the engine, you can start sticking piston rings, gumming up your fuel system and all that sort of stuff. So you can end up with all kinds of other problems down the road. Certainly you want to change the oil because it's going to be very, very moisture contaminated from sitting so long. I would also look at doing the coolant because it's going to be totally depleted because of the time that's gone by. I would look at changing the transmission fluid, the rear differential fluid. And I would also look at things that are time sensitive, such as the tires. They're going to be more than six years old if it's been sitting for 10 years. So even though they may look like brand new, they're going to be old. And as soon as you start driving, a tire is going to blow out and end up causing you trouble. Also, your belts and your hoses are old. So those are the sorts of things that I would be looking at. 
things like spark plugs and that really don't care a whole lot whether they're sitting or being used. They're strictly wear type items and time doesn't seem to bother them too much. So you'd probably be okay on that sort of thing. The battery is obviously going to be dead, so you're going to need to replace the battery in it. But those kinds of things, go ahead and maybe you might want to pull the spark plugs out, crank it over just to clear the cylinders of any debris and moisture built up in them, and then put the plugs back in. You'll look at them, make sure they're in pretty good shape, put them back in, put a hot battery in with some fresh fuel. It'll probably crank right up. All right. All right. Appreciate that. Thank you very okay, much. Okay, Nolan. Thanks, man. Bye-bye. All right. Bye-bye. 499-9526 is the number. If you want to be part of the Automotive Hour, we'd certainly love to have you. That's one of those things that can really kind of sneak up on you, and that's allowing a vehicle to sit up. Sure. Sure. Vehicles do not like to be set. They're designed to be driven, and the more you drive them, it seems the better they handle that. Oh, absolutely. If you look at any of the extremely high-mileage vehicles that we see coming into AGCO, it's always going to be a newer vehicle that's got a huge amount of miles relative to the years. Correct. Because they've been driven a lot. For instance, you'll see like a... 2008 or 9 model with 350,000 miles. Right. Let's say it's a delivery-type vehicle. That car's been driven, and they like that. And it will be in almost like new condition many, many cases because it's just been driven continuously as opposed to a car that's, say, 10 years old with 20,000 miles. Those cars are usually in deplorable condition. Sure. When we were coming up, it was the little old lady's car. That's the one everybody wanted. You know, it hadn't been driven much. And we've come to find that that's totally opposite of yeah. what we've been You'd been told. Definitely want a higher mileage, later year model car. You're going to be in much much better overall sure. condition because cars are like people. They just like to run. They don't like to to sit to sit. Yeah, so the body in motion tends to remain in motion. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> We're going back to our phone lines. John, good morning, John. Good morning. Got a question. Uh, 08 GMC Acadia. Uh huh. And the, the issue is it's got a center console shift. Mm-hmm. When you press the button down to pull it into reverse or drive, it's kind of hard. There's almost a kind of a, a grinding piece. Now, I don't believe it's the actual transmission. I think it's something to do in the actual mechanism. Yes, sir. In the console. Button. Yeah, there's a little short cable that connects that shifter to the transmission itself. And a lot of times what those will do is give you problems. One of the number one causes of that is if you have an insufficient ground somewhere on the vehicle, like, for instance, if your battery cables, you got like temporary battery table ends or something like that, it tends to want to draw ground through that shifter cable because that's connecting electrically the engine and transmission to the body of the car. And it'll burn that little cable up and they'll start doing that. Now, if it's... There's also a range selector switch on top of the transmission where the cable hooks the transmission. That switch can fail internally and start making that grind and feel real easy to check. Just uh, You look at the end of the cable, trace it down to the transmission, a little ball and socket. Just pop that ball and socket apart, and the shifter moves real, real free and real easy. And you move the transmission by hand, and it feels like it's grinding or moving, then it's going to probably be that range selector switch. Now, if it's not the cable and it's not the switch, range selector switch, it's going to be something inside the console. And that's something Brian knows a whole lot more about than I do. More than likely, it's got something spilled down in it, a soft drink, a soda soft drink or something like that. It gotten spilled at one time. That uh-huh. soda gets down in there in between everything. It's a liquid, uh-huh. so it goes into small cracks, and then it turns into like a gel. And it makes things real hard to move. And we have fixed a tremendous amount of those just by taking it apart, cleaning it, and putting it back together. Cleaning it up, lubricating, and putting it all back together. Yeah. So to, to get to that, from what I'm reading, you have to take the, the driver's side seat out, and there's a take the side panel off to get to it? Probably so. You have to take the console out, whatever that involves. Right. I'd have to look it up and service that. I'm not sure off the top of my head. Everyone. Yeah, everyone's a little different. They are kind of involved in some cases, but it's nothing an average do-it-yourself can't do as long right. as you're careful and 
have time to fool with it. And have the yeah. instruction on how to take it apart. Right. Yeah, sometimes it's easy. Sometimes you put it and it goes, and then other times it's just like there's marbles in there or something. <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah. It's possible it has a broken piece in it. Mm-hmm. Just from the, the way it's manufactured, is a bunch of plastic bushings and things of that nature that sometimes get brittle and break. And also, John, that has what they call a brake shift interlocked on it, where you've got to have your foot on the brake to take it out of gear. Sometimes that system can malfunction, and it doesn't see that you've got the brakes on, even though you do. You should be able and to— that'll make it very difficult to take in and out. You should be able to listen— when you put your foot on the brake, you should hear that console run around the shifter. You should hear it click. Yeah, every time you touch the brake yeah. pedal. Yeah, I'm familiar with that clicking. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. And sometimes that little solenoid will hang yeah. up. It just doesn't release fully. Again, Brian said a lot of times a soft drink of some sort will get spilled into the console, runs all in, and then it, being a sweet drink, it turns to a gum or a glue and kind of glues everything together and gums it all up. That's the that number one cause we see. That would never happen in my wife's seat. <laughs> I wasn't going to say anything, yeah. <laughs> but I was thinking, you know, you know what I was yeah. thinking. <laughs> I know exactly what you're thinking. And, and that probably could have contributed to that, but there's still a, it's a grinding type mm-hmm. deal in mm-hmm. the shifter itself. So. Sometimes, too, a coin or something will fall, jam up in the, in the shift mechanism, or the shifter can just break. You know, right. there's a bunch of little yeah. pieces and parts down. Any one of them can break and cause that, but. I think the easiest thing is to pop the cable loose from the transmission and see if it shifts real easy and real free. If it does, go after that. And if it still has a binding or grinding, you know it's inside the console or the shifter. Yep. Okay, guys. Thank All you right, John. Much. Thanks, man. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right, 499-9526 number. If you want to be part of the Automotive Hour, we'd love to have you. And we've got Kevin on the line. Good morning, Kevin. Hey, good morning, Lou. Quick question for you. I have a uh, 2004 F-150 with the 5.4-liter V8. Okay. Uh, it's been running great. I recently have started running, actually running a little rough. I cleaned the throttle body and the mass airflow sensor. It runs like a top now. Mm-hmm. However, uh, it's that engine that has a problem with the plug. Okay. I'm going to have to uh, change this soon. So how do you recommend that, or do you recommend you know putting penetrating oil, letting it sit overnight well, before trying to get it out? Well, penetrating oil is not going to help a whole lot, Kevin. The sooner you do it, the better. You know, if you've got much over 100,000 miles on it, the odds are not real good that they're all going to come out. If you got less than that, I like to change those plugs probably between 60 and 80,000 miles. Usually they'll come out pretty well. Right. And what we generally do is try to suck some type of a decarbonizing fluid into the intake. And you got to be a little careful doing that. But what you would do is basically remove one of the vacuum lines and then take a small amount of decarbonizing fluid and allow it just to suck in while the engine's running. Because that's on the combustion chamber side where you need to get to. Anything, there's a, it's got a seat on the base of that plug that's going to seal anything from going down that hole, getting to the part that it needs right. to be. you right. got a set of threads, but the threads aren't the problem. It's like a little extension on the bottom of the threads that's actually stuck in the combustion chamber. Okay. So you running something through there will help a good deal. Also, we generally will tighten the plug just a hair, like maybe just tighten it just a little bit and then untighten it that seems to help some for some reason rather than just try to untighten right off the bat another thing that we found it even though it doesn't make sense it certainly works for us and that is using an air tool to spin that plug out seems to work a little better than using hand tools i don't know there's something about the slow even torque that causes them to break but a lot of times we can take an air ratchet and we can pop them out and they'll come right on out as opposed to using a hand ratchet which tends to put a little more pressure on it Right, but, right. Um, what would you say your success rate is that you've seen on these so far? We've had them? pretty good success with them, and we've got all the special tools that if it does break, we can sometimes extract them. 
The problem you're going to have if you try to do it yourself, Kevin, is if one of those plugs breaks off in the motor, you probably have to tow this thing somewhere to get it out if it can right. be gotten out. Uh, right, you're not right. going to have all this. And to buy the special tools is probably three to $400, which would be sort of silly to pay that much money for something you can do one time. Exactly, uh, exactly. I would probably I find someone, have them do it. That way, if it does break, they're equipped to get it out. Now, right. worst-case scenario, if the plug just won't come out, then you got to take the heads off, which means – Taking the cab off. Yeah, the, ca- the, cab, the cab has right. to come off or the engine has to come off the truck. Right. How many miles do you have on it, Kevin? Uh, I have 97,000 on it right now. Yeah, you're right yeah. at that 100. Yeah, you're right yeah. at 100,000. And at that mileage, if it did go that far, I'd probably recommend changing the time and change while you're in there. Okay. okay. They have to yeah. come off to do it. Well, I'm going to give you a call next week, and, and just, I'm going to let you have this headache. <laughs> yeah, i got to say, probably 90% of the time we can get them out without having to pull ahead, maybe 95% of the time. All right, you and, just need to be prepared for the yeah. one that, if it does break, this is going to be the contention to, yeah. to get it fixed. Probably 50% of the time right. we can get them out without breaking any of them. Probably 45% of the time they break, but you can get them out, and then that other 5% is where the heads have to come off. Right. Yeah. Gotcha, gotcha. Well, great. Well, uh, thanks for the advice, and I will be giving y'all a call this week. All right, Kevin. Thanks, man. Bye-bye. 499-9526 number if you want to be part of the automotive hour. Well, we had a real rash of those for a while there. We did. When they first came out. And haven't seen as many of them lately. I guess they're getting older. A lot of them have been changed out, and I believe it was in 2009 that they changed that design back to a one-piece plug. Sure. And they, then those have those one piece plugs have been retrofitted into the ones right. prior. Yeah, the people who have had to fight these things out have probably gone ahead and put the one piece plug back in it. So that right. is hopefully a problem that will go away in some I hope so, because I tell you what, it's it's a job when the head has to come well, off. Well it really is, and it's just so difficult to try to explain adequately to a customer up front that hey this is a non-reversible procedure once sure. we start there's no backing up yeah it's kind of like building the rear end you yeah know, once you open the cover and one, take the gear set yeah, out when I you're, you're committed that, pull that car out of there and those gears fall over the ground yeah you you're committed then yeah you can't just put it back together so you got to be prepared for the worst we've got jeff online good morning jeff good morning yes, good morning sir. Got a 2005 chevy cargo van mm-hmm. starting to get a noise out the rear end Kind of resembling, you know, off-road tires going down the road. Okay. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. A low, steady rumble. Mm-hmm. And wondering what, that could be a tire or a bearing? or Well, it could be either one, Jeff. Does accelerating and decelerating change the noise at all? No. No no effect it whatsoever? the same pitch. It, it goes up as Strictly you get Strictly speed, speed related? But it doesn't seem to be related to speed at all, no. Doesn't get faster when you go faster and slower when you go a slower. A little bit, a little bit, but not much. Sounds like it's coming from the rear, but like there's an empty cargo van. So yeah, yeah, the noise kind of vibrates around there. Let me give you just a number of things that it could possibly be. You know, number one would be a tire. A chop tire can certainly cause that kind of a thing, or a tire with a bad spot in it. That's pretty easy to isolate because what you can do is have tires rotate and see if noise changes. It won't go away, but it's going to change. It'll either get louder, it'll get quieter, it'll be a or to move from the back to the front, right. or something of that nature. Yeah, you're taking an unloaded back and you're putting it under the tire under a loaded front with an engine weight on it, so it's going to definitely change the noise. If rotating the tires makes no difference, whatever, then it's not going to be tires. The next more common thing would be probably one of the wheel bearings, and the way that vehicle is built, that's very, very, very important to get on right away. Reason being, the roller bearing rolls directly on the axle shaft. There is no inner race to the bearing. There's an outer race, a roller, and the roller is rolling on the axle shaft. So a number of things happen when the bearing starts to go bad, not the least of which it eats the whole axle shaft away. It just tears the axle shaft right. up because it's rolling on some it. Some of those axles are, what, four, or $500? Easily, yes, and there's two of them in there. So you can get into some major books, but that's not nearly the worst of it. 
as it eats into the shaft, all that metal gets into the oil that's lubricating its rear end, which carries it into the center section. Now, there are four more bearings in the center section. So you can take a potentially two or $300 repair and turn it into a two or $3,000 repair real fast by continuing to drive this. So this is something you need to get diagnosed and repaired. Now, there's a small possibility. Have you looked under the van at all, James? No, I mean, I looked at the tires from the well, outside. Well, look at the drive shaft obvious. and see if it has a two-piece drive shaft. I'm not certain. Some do, some don't. If you've got a two-piece drive shaft, sometimes the carrier bearing on that drive shaft will make a very similar noise. It's almost hard to tell the two apart, okay. uh, except that it'll be a little bit faster noise than the wheel speed because the drive shaft is okay. turning faster than the wheels. But I've seen those make a noise very similar to that as well. Okay. And that's a much smaller repair if that's the case. All right. All righty. All right. Thank you much. Thanks, man. Bye-bye. 499-9526 number. If you want to be part of the automotive ride, we'd love to have you. And we've got James on the line. Good morning, James. Good morning. How are you today? Doing great, sir. Look, I just bought a 2011 Chevrolet pickup truck. Okay. And my air conditioner is freezing up. I looked on the accumulator, and I didn't see a low-pressure switch. I was wondering if you can help me. Yeah, it's going to have a switch somewhere on it, but if it's freezing up, James, the most common thing is that it's low on charge. What happens as the charge starts to drop uh, in pressure, that's when you start to freeze. When the low side goes much below about 26 pounds, you're going to start to freeze. So if it's a little bit low on charge, not excessively low, but a little bit, that low side pressure is going to go real low, and it's going to start to freeze up like that. That's the most common thing. Now, to okay. check that one, you can't just put a set of gauges and add refrigerant because you'll destroy the system. What you have to do is take it to somebody who knows what they're doing, have them evacuate the entire system, measure the charges, and then add the proper charge to it. Okay. Yeah, some of the new GM products got a variable displacement compressor, and it just varies the displacement to zero when it wants to cut back. GM uses a few different systems. If it doesn't have a cycle switch up on the accumulator like the old ones did, there'll be a pressure sensor in the line down by the compressor, and inside the evaporator case is going to be a temperature switch that cuts it off based on temperature. Those switches don't give too much problem, but if it happened to stick in the own position, I guess it could cause it to freeze up. Right. Now, the only switch I've seen was like on the high side down there by the compressor itself, and I'm figuring that was the low and high speed, you know, for the for the fan. Well, like I said, you know, I followed the line all the way from the accumulator to the compressor, and, you know, there's no switch in the line or on the um, the accumulator. Yeah, the switch you see in the line down by the compressor is going to be the refrigerant pressure switch, and like I say, I believe that is a high-pressure switch. It's going to be controlled by that switch inside the evaporator, the, the refrigerant temperature switch, and if it has an invariable displacement compressor, it actually mechanically controls the displacement of the compressor to control temperature. Okay, so if it don't have the, the cycle clutch, and it yeah, it's most likely high. low on the refrigerant. Yes, sir. I I appreciate it, sir. All right, thank you. Bye bye. Uh, what's your email address? You just go through the website. It's agcoauto.com. A G C O A U T O dot com. Just go there and hit contact. All right, appreciate it. Thank sir. you. Bye bye. All right, one more quick little break. and we'll be right back with more on the Automotive Hour. How are you and things at the dealership's maintenance department? Dave, things are great. You guys still running that low-priced $24.99 oil change at your place? Oh, yeah. Folks come in and we just happen to find a ton of other stuff wrong with their car. <laughs> Works, don't it? Sometimes when it's a woman, I make something up like, 
Your flux capacitor has a leak. Yeah, or your strapanoid filter head needs to be replaced. <laughs> oh, that's a good one. I gotta write that down. Agco Automotive wants to let you know how to stick it to the low-price oil chain shops. Go get the oil change, and then take your vehicle and their list of recommended repairs to Agco for an honest opinion of what, if anything, needs to be fixed. And we'll fix only that. Want to know more details about upsells and wallet flushes, plus tons of other automotive info? Visit agcoauto.com. That's A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O dot com. Agco, it's the place to go. Hey, welcome back to the final segment of the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Aldazan, president of Agco Automotive. Got a lead tech, Mr. Brian Terry, right here by my side. Hey, between two us, try to answer any automotive questions you might have. we still got a few minutes. Why don't you go and give us a call? 499-9526. Air conditioning, cycle switches, and all that are sort of going away today. What they've done is they've gone to variable displacement compressors on a lot of vehicles. Right. The GM system actually doesn't use a sensor. It uses a mechanical I guess you'd call a piston or the pressure on the low side moves stuff mechanically inside the compressor, okay. which moves a wobble plate, which changes the displacement of the compressor. So when low side pressure starts to get too low, it simply decreases the displacement of the compressor. So even though it's turning the same speed, it's pumping less refrigerant. Okay. So it can vary it that way. It can vary it all the way down to zero. And it can just straighten that little wobble plate out where it's spinning, but it's no longer pushing the pistons up and down. So kind of a, New technology? Yeah, it's kind of a neat design, really, the way they got all that in there and got it all working in such a small little package. Right. Now, of course, the downside is when they break, they're very, yeah. very expensive. <laughs> it's, it's not like the old compressors. There are air conditioning compressors on the market today that cost twenty-two dollars to $2,500. Oh, I know. And I saw one the other day when it came through. We had to, never seen one like that. It was an electric vehicle. Yeah, had an electric um, compressor on it. Right. Yeah, they got all kinds of new technologies and stuff, and technology is a great thing as long as it helps people and you like it. You just got to remember there is a cost for maintaining it, and that's just sort of what it is. I right. was talking to a gentleman earlier. He was asking me about servicing a transmission on a Toyota without a dipstick on one of the overflow-type transmissions, and I'm actually putting an article together on that. should, should come out next week. And he was saying, wow, you got to do all that just service. I said, well, that's the technology you got. Right. It's a six-speed transmission. The fluid level is extremely, extremely critical on this transmission. So they can't depend on someone just using a dipstick to get it right. You have to actually know the temperature of the fluid. The vehicle has to be level and on and on and on. There's all these factors that have to be considered. Big procedure to to actually just check the fluid level on. Yeah, just to check it takes quite a bit, and that's just the vehicle you got. When you start getting into... Like some of the new Ford vehicles with a dual clutch system on it, it's basically like two manual transmissions put together in one automatic with two sets of clutches that are all mechanically actuated. And what it's doing is it's already putting it into the next gear when it's got it in the last gear, and it varies the input shafts, two input shafts on uh-huh. it. So first gear may be on one shaft, second may be on the second one, third may be on the first again, and so on and so forth, maybe seven or eight gears in the transmission. Right. And it can shift into one gear at the same time it's in another gear and just vary the input to the input shafts. It can use one of two input shafts, and then they all tie back and go out to one output shaft. So whole, whole lot of complexity. Yeah, it's fine as long as it's all working, but when it breaks, you got to remember this is probably not anything you can be able to fix yourself. Oh, and no. It's going to probably cost you a good bit of money to fix it when it does break. So. And then finding the right person to fix a transmission like that is going to well, be an issue. That's right, because not just everybody is going to be able to repair these types of things. So 
that's one of those things where you want to find you a good repair shop and kind of chum up with them. There you go. <laughs> just for the future, if nothing else. That's it. Hey, I see we're just about out of time. I want to tell everybody how much I appreciate them listening to us this first show of 2014. I'd like to thank our podcasters for listening this week and every week. And go tell your friends and go to iTunes and Stitcher and give us a written rating. Yeah, I really appreciate those written ratings. Kind of move us up and so more people can hear us. And we really, really get a big old kick out of that. We do. Hey, preceding was opinion based on our experience in the automotive industry. Have a great weekend. Thank you.